Well, hey everyone, this is Cameron Hager, pastor at Door of Hope Northeast, and welcome to Holy Monday, the second day of Holy Week or Passion Week as we're reflecting back on that week culminating in Jesus's death and burial that gives way to Resurrection Sunday or Easter. Um, today we have another guest sharer. This is a guy by the name of Ian Cornell, who's spoken uh, up on a Sunday before at Door of Hope, um, been around the church for years, led community groups, been around in various capacities, and he's a wonderful guy, gifted communicator, um, and he is going to share with us from John chapter 13. So we're honored to have him. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Ian. Today's reading will be John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world into the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. But Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Dora Hope, friends and family, my name is Ian Cornell. I'm coming at you from the Portland, Oregon quarantine. What a... What a strange and uncertain time that we are living in. The, there's a verse that's been very sweet these last couple of weeks that I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's in Romans 15. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And we as Christians, those of us who are Christians, have a God and a gospel that gives us great reason to hope. We have a great resource and a great truth that is so beyond this world and is such good news that no matter what happens to us here on earth, we have reason to be joyful. We have reason for hope. It might hurt. Life may be awful uncertain and painful, but we have reason to hope that cannot be taken away from us. And this time in human history is a good reminder of that. This virus has brought unspoken pain and confusion. People are, people are angry. People are sick. People are dying. 
no corner of the world has been left untouched. And there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of fear. And we can't deny it. We can't hide from it. We can't ignore it. But we have hope in the midst of it. Those of us who belong to Jesus have a hope that is beyond the walls of this world that cannot be taken away by anything. And this story in John 13 speaks to that hope. It speaks to that hope in a way that I I haven't seen before. I hadn't caught it um, until the last few days that I've been reading this story over and over again. Um, And it became fresh and new to me uh, because I'm reading it with... (laughs) Uh, more intention and with a, a different attitude and with a different set of, of eyes because of what is happening in the world and how much fear and uncertainty and pain there is right now. Um, I've read this story differently. And I have to point out the obvious takeaway, the, the, the easy lesson that we read And we see in this story that just jumps out off the page is that Jesus is setting an example of, he's setting an example of how to be a servant and how to have an attitude of humble service to those who are around us. And that we can use our lives and our resources and our talents and our skills to make other people's lives better through serving them. That is the example that he says that he gives in verse 15. For as I have given you an example that you you should do just as I have done to you. This is a command. People who are representatives of Jesus should have, a, have an attitude of servanthood. We should be comprehensive servants. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the turmoil, no matter what the cost, we should be a people who are willing to go underneath with the intention of lifting others up and making their lives more bearable and easier and have less friction because of our presence. Our presence should be one of service. It should be a bomb. We should be a bomb to the world around us as we are salt and light. We are servants. And Jesus is commanding us to be this way. And this is the, this is the obvious takeaway from, from this story. You read this story and that is the thing that first makes itself makes itself obvious. And I want to look at two things that that aren't quite as obvious. They're there, they're in the text, it's clearly written, um, but it's easily read over and, and passed. And it's two things that John writes that Jesus knows. There's two things that Jesus knows. There's two things that Jesus are aware of as he's in this situation with his disciples at the supper washing their feet, taking on the form of, 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 the, of the lowest servant. Wash, the foot washing uh, was, was culturally reserved for the, the lowest of servants. And Jesus is taking on that role. And there's a couple of things that John says that he knows in the midst of doing this. And the first one is in the first verse. John chapter 13, now before... The feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that his hour had come. This was something that he knew. He was aware of this. His hour was, had come. His hour was present. And so what is this hour that had come? 
For anybody that is familiar with the Gospels and the life and ministry of Jesus, we know that this hour that had come was the hour that he was to be given over and betrayed, handed off to the authorities in chains, and led ultimately to his death on the cross. There's two instances that I'll mention briefly. In John chapter 7 and in John chapter 8, Jesus is saying things that are making the religious leaders very unhappy with him, very angry at him. And it says in both those chapters, 7 and 8, that they wanted to arrest him, that they were going to apprehend him and lay hands on him, but nobody did because his hour had not yet come. And in in the the tail end of one of those stories in in John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse 28 to the religious leaders, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but just as the Father has taught me, so I speak. So, this, this, it, <clears throat> when you have lifted up the Son of Man, this lifting up that Jesus is referring to is Him being lifted up on the cross. This hour that had come was in part an hour, a time, it was the beginning of a great torment and a torture and pain, and suffocating anxiety, suffocating fear. This is the time when Jesus, this is the last, this, this, this story in John 13 is the last few hours that he's with his disciples before Judas betrays him and hands him over to the guards and he's taken away, arrested, and the rest of his disciples abandon him. And this is that hour This is an hour of great consternation. And if we would but just pause for a second and think about how terrifying this would be. Jesus knows that he's about to be arrested. He knows that he's about to go to this mockery of a trial and that the people there are going to to call for his death. And that he is going to be beaten and jeered at. He's going to be abused People are physically going to strike him in the face. He's going to be mutilated beyond human recognition. He's going to be whipped with a cat of nine tails. He's going to be spread out naked and have his back whipped 39 times. He's going to be tortured. And he's going to be led from that place of torture to a hill of Golgotha. And he's going to be killed on a cross. This is the, this is the hour that has come. This is the lifting up that Jesus is speaking about. When you see the Son of Man lifted up. But you'll know that I am He. This is also the hour where Jesus is revealed to be who He really is. That He is the Son of God. That He is, that he is God incarnate, come in the flesh. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has, has come to seek and to save sinners. And that salvation will be effectuated and made possible by this sacrifice. That Jesus is... Death and bloodshed is the sacrifice that is needed for the remission of our sins. For us human beings who have sinned against Almighty God, we have committed mutiny. We have have committed treason. We have turned our back. We have sinned. We have broken His law. And there has to be a payment for that law that has been broken. And what a great law it is that has been broken. And Jesus paid the price of that mutiny. He has paid the price of that law that we broke 
by his own blood and by his own life. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead three days later was proof of not only who he is, that he is who he said he is, that he is God in the flesh, come to teach, come to save, come to seek and to save sinners. He is God. And his resurrection is a proof of that. And it's also a proof that his sacrifice was a sufficient sacrifice, that it was accepted on our behalf, that it, it, it satisfied God's justice. And now those of us who are Christians, those of us whom, who believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. And Jesus' sinless record is imputed to us. We stand before Almighty God as if we were Jesus because Jesus stood before Almighty God as if he was us. Charles Spurgeon said. This is the hour that had come. The hour of unspeakable torment and pain and uncertainty and fear. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane just after this, this Last Supper that, his, that he was sorrowful to the point of death. And he prayed that Father God would let this cup of wrath pass from him, that he wouldn't have to drink of it, that there might be some other way to effectuate salvation for his people. And he got the answer, no. And so he said, not my will, but your will. And Jesus went to the cross. This is that hour. It has come. And Jesus knows it. And we have to stop and think about how terrifying that must have been. We have a God who has felt fear. We have a God who as a human being has felt uncertainty and terror and has been horrified at the things to come. And we find ourselves today in, in 2020 with this virus that is sweeping over the world. We find ourselves in a place of uncertainty and fear and horror at what might come. And we have a Jesus who can relate to that. We have a Jesus who knows. And to such a greater degree does he know. He went to the cross and while dying, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on Jesus because he who knew no sin became sin. So that we might become the righteousness. Jesus in his obedience was 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 forsaken by Father God so that us, his children, would never have to experience such a thing. And so even in a time like this, that is terrifying and scary, this is a reason that we have to hope. This is a reason that we have to be joyful because we know that God's arms are open to us because he sees us the way that he sees Jesus. And this is the, this is the other thing that Jesus knows. Jesus knows that his hour has come, this hour of, of, of terrifying reality but also, simultaneously, he knows what verse 3 points out, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus knew that he was going back to God. He knew that the cross was in it. He knew that death wouldn't have the final word. He knew that this torture and this torment and this anxiety and this fear and this uncertainty were not the final, they were not the final place. They were not the final destination. They were not the final word or truth that he had coming for him, that he had ahead of him. He knew that he was going back. 
He, that was the, he had this hope. Hebrews 12 says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising his shame. And here is that, here is that joy. He knew that he was going back to Father God. And we as Christians have the same hope, even in times like this of uncertainty and fear. We have this hope. This earth is not all that there is. Death does not get the final word. The hope that we have because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his gospel, that hope can never be taken away. It can never be diminished. It can never be lost. We will not be snatched out of the Father's hands. We have an eternal hope. And there are some verses that I want to share. Just listen to these verses and, and, and read them in your own time. These are beautiful verses that we need to meditate on so that our minds and our emotions are formed and informed around these truths so that they give us a, a proclivity and a disposition towards service and hope and joy because we have a, we have a fire inside of us that cannot be extinguished. We have a joy. We have a reason for joy that cannot be stamped out. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. And if we are heirs of God, then we are co-heirs with Christ. We get what Jesus gets. We have the hope of eternity with, that, with him and with each other forever. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are children of God. Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul concludes that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Friends, there will be a time when that hour comes for us. That hour will arrive in each of our lives individually. Whether it's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, the virus, disease, illness, death, these things cannot separate us from the love of God. They will come. Paul is saying these things can come. These things will happen. We are not impervious to the malevolence of the world around us, but we have a hope that is beyond it. We have a hope that malevolence cannot destroy. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, Hey, throw us in the flames. Our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to be okay. Because your flames cannot destroy the hope and the future and the eternity that we have with our God. Friends, this is our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Friends, let us think about this. Let us think about this. Jesus, in his moment of agony, in his time of trial, was able to put aside his own distress and he went under his servants, under his disciples, and he served. He went under his people and he lifted them up. Look at him, knowing that his hour had come and he's serving and he's washing and he's saving And he's reassuring, he's reassuring Peter, look, you're clean. You're saved. You're safe forever. You have an eternal hope. But I have to wash your feet because Christians still have to wash their feet. We're saved. We're safe. But we have to wash our feet. Peter is saved and yet he's here in the upper room arguing with the other ones about which one of them is going to be the greatest. 
pretty soon he's going to hack off a guy's ear and he's going to deny Jesus three times publicly, explicitly. He had growing to do. He had sins to confess, but Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John 1, 9. We are clean. Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, you're clean. He's reassuring them. He's serving them. He's loving them. Knowing that one of them was going to betray him, knowing that one of them was not clean, he knew that that hour that Judas would betray him and set off this chain of events had come. But he knew that he was going back to God. And so he was able to face this turmoil with confidence and he endured through it and he saw it through to the end. And friends, we have the same hope. We have the same reason for rejoicing. We have the same reason for being hopeful and confident in this time of turmoil and any other turmoil that this malevolent world throws at us. This sinful, broken world is going to give us challenge upon challenge upon challenge again. But Jesus gives and he gives and he gives again. He loved his disciples to the end and he loves us to the end. And we have this hope because of the work that he has done. One day, Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Friends, we have reason for strength and hope and resolve and confidence because we know our future. And so we can face the presence, the present with, with poise and with boldness. We have, an, we have a guarantee for eternity. And so we can be confident if we have cause to bleed now. And even in our pain, we can serve one another because we have a joy that is also set before us. I want to close with this verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, there it is, I pray that you may know what it is that is the hope to which you have been called, and what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe." Friends, may you know what is the hope to which you are called. May you know the riches of your glorious inheritance and may you know the immeasurable greatness of his power that is at work in us who believe. May this be our hope. May this be our fortitude and our buttressing. We are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ and we have an inheritance that can never be taken away. Let us remember that in this time of struggle and uncertainty and pain and turmoil and use that knowing to serve others and use that knowing to rejoice and to worship God. May the God of hope give you joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I love you, friends. I hope that you are encouraged. Let us remember this. I will see you on the other side of this thing. God bless. So long.